Well, today we're continuing our series we started last week just called Stuck. Have, have you ever had that dream um, that you're not dressed for the occasion? You ever had that dream? How many of you had that dream? You're not, you know, like, 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 like you went to work in your pajamas. You know what I'm talking about? Or you showed up at your uh, high school reunion in Bermuda shorts. Or, you know, maybe you just forgot to get dressed at all and you're in ninth grade English and you go, I, come on, how many of you ever had, like, I forgot to get dressed right? How many of you ever had that dream? Yeah? I think most people have that dream at some point. It, it, it's scary. How many of you have ever been caught in an elevator? Let me see your hand. Come on. I'm talking about trapped. I'm not talking about, no, put it down. I'm not talking about the doors open slow and it scares you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the doors would not open. Let me see it. Really? I'm not getting another elevator. Because I had no idea it was that high. That's like way too high. But that, that's an awkward feeling for that thing to go and then stop. And, and you go, you know, like now what's going to happen? It's more than a cliche, but we hear in our uh, society oftentimes this phrase, you know, like a stuck record, and it just plays the same line of the same song over and over and over, and it's a terrible feeling to be stuck anywhere, trapped in a situation or a season of life, and you don't know how to get out of it. Last week, we started this series called Stuck, and last week, we talked about uh, how, or we've been talking about, and are going to continue to talk about, what are those places that we uh, tend to get stuck in? Where are they? Why do we get stuck in them? How do we get out of them? Last week, we talked about being stuck in emptiness. Today, we're going to talk about being stuck in busyness. So being stuck in busyness doesn't necessarily mean you're not moving. It, it may actually mean that you're moving and you're moving so much you're not going anywhere. You're just stuck. Sort of like a pair of old tennis shoes just circulating in the dryer over and over and over. Now, uh, the question I want to ask this morning is, why, why is it that we're so busy? There, I'm sure we don't have time. To get to the bottom of all the reasons that we're all so busy now. But man, nobody would argue that we live in sort of a frantic culture or a frantic time. I do want to just give you a couple of thoughts though on why it is at least that I think that we might be so busy. Here, here's the first one. I think we're so busy because we live in a time of absolute mental saturation. In other words, mental, we're, we're, we are on information overload, which means our brains are overworked. Listen to this fact. Counting all forms of media, more information is generated every hour than you and I can process in our entire lifetime. We are inundated with information. There's more information in one issue of the, of the Sunday New York Times than your great-grandfather read in his entire lifetime. Information overload, mental saturation. Why do you think there's a law against texting and driving? Because we're trying to do too many things with our brain at one time. And it causes mental saturation or mental strangulation. We live in a very complicated world and it's very hard on our brain. I think this is why anxiety and depression are so widespread today. 
drug, alcohol abuse, overeating, sexual addiction. People are trying to find relief for their brain. Because our brains, we, you, you know, 30, 40 years ago, everybody came home from work saying, oh, my aching back. Now we all come home from work saying, oh, my aching brain. Because I've overused my brain. If our brains are this overloaded, then it really doesn't matter if we're as busy as we think we are or not. Our minds are busy. It's not necessarily about the schedule. Our minds are busy. So mental saturation, I think, is one reason. Here's another one. How, how many of you know, know what this phrase right here means? We'll put it on the screen in a minute. It's not there. Okay. How many, there it is. How many of you know what that means? Raise your hand. Oh, most of you don't. Very good. It means fear, FOMO, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. And here's how it works. It kind of, it's kind of a technological wonder. It means you see something online somebody else is doing, and all of a sudden you panic because you think you're missing out. They're, they're experiencing a better life. Dave Ramsey actually wrote an article about this, and he calls it Facebook Envy. And let me just kind of walk you through Dave Ramsey's take on it. Of course, if you know who Dave Ramsey is, kind of the financial guy, here's what he says. He says, let's say, for example, your friends Mike and Sally recently bought a brand new two-story, four-bedroom house just outside the city. It's the perfect house, just like one you always wanted. Three hours after closing, Sally posts this Facebook status. We are so blessed, exclamation point. Mike and I just bought our dream house, exclamation point. We can't wait to start our family, grow old together, and live the life we've always dreamed of in this perfect home. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. We are so blessed. Have I mentioned that? Exclamation point. I love this house, and I love you, Mike. Exclamation point. We are so blessed. And there you are in your pajamas, scrolling Facebook. And it isn't long, of course, that you look down, and Sally has posted photos along with her post, and the house is beautiful. So Dave Ramsey says there are six steps that follow this uh, Facebook envy moment. Here's the first step. You see the status. Mike and Sally have a beautiful new house. It's just like the one you always wanted. They seem to have everything, and they're cute too. Number two, step two. You compare. You compare your apartment with their 3,500-square-foot home. And while looking through the pictures, it dawns on you, your entire apartment will fit in their master bedroom. Step three, you begin to feel inadequate. You feel sad and depressed because you thought by now you and your spouse would be further along. Step four, you consider making a change. You get on a real estate website. You start shopping. You can only afford a 5% down payment, and the payments would stretch you too far, but you want to make your own Facebook post. Step five. You start taking steps to make that change. You go to some open houses, you meet a mortgage lender, and you look for some creative financing ways to make all this happen. Step six, either you make some crazy decisions that you will fully regret a year from now, or you snap out of it and you go back to what you were doing. FOMO. It's Facebook envy. This scenario plays itself out millions of times every day all over the world. It, for you, it might not be a house. It might be you pull up and it's friends. It might be vacation. It might be good food. It might be that they're just in a big group of smiling people and you say, I don't have any friends. 
And this Facebook envy drives us. We live in a culture that's constantly bullying us to have more and more and more. And it's created a lifestyle of busyness that is unsustainable and people are beginning to break down. Because as a culture, we're just stuck in busyness, which I think oftentimes comes from mental saturation or or fear of missing out. So here's the key thought for you today. If you want to take notes this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, If you don't, you'll get to heaven an hour later than the rest of us. But it's okay, however you want to do it. Uh, Here's the key thought for today. You can live a focused life or a fruitless life, but you cannot live both. You can live a focused life or you can live a fruitless life, but you cannot live both. The key to overcoming busyness is focus. If you are stuck in busyness, the only way to increase your focus is to do less. So that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. There's a man in the Bible who found himself overwhelmed with busyness, and there are a lot of things we can learn from him. So Exodus chapter 18, we'll look there together. Exodus 18, verse 1 and verse 8. I want to just kind of set the background of what's going on so we'll, we'll understand uh, the dialogue after now Jethro, well that's, that's a cool name, isn't it? Jethro? Jethro Bodine. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and the father-in-law of Moses, Moses is our main character, heard of everything God had done for Moses. What did God do for Moses and for his people? And how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. See, Moses and the entire nation of Israel were living in a time of great victory. God had just delivered the whole nation from centuries of slavery and preserved them for generations in the wilderness. And now they're journeying, they're well on their way to their new land. And after hundreds of years of slavery, this is the first taste that they have of real victory and freedom. Now, that brings, that brings us to a question. How many of you like to win? The rest of you, I would ask, how many of you like to lie? How many of you like to win? Yes, I love to win. Like, I really, really, really like to win. So, so this, uh, a few weeks ago, we had this incredible moment of victory. Or actually, let me, go back, let me go back a year ago. Our football team at Kingwood Christian School, uh, at homecoming last year, played a team called Pickens Academy. They came over and schlacked us. I'm talking about like rubbed our helmets in the turf. 60 to 0 on homecoming. You don't do that to people on homecoming. Like that's in, that'll, hurt a, that'll hurt a person's feelings, right? 60-0. So this year, our team had gotten a little bit better, and we went over to Pickens Academy, opening game of the season, to play them at their place. All right? We get out, and we're like, you know, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Rolling the dice here. Our school has never beat their school in 12 years. We've played them for 12 years, and we've never beat them one time. And we went out, and we, we stopped them, then we got a touchdown, and we went, hey, 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 something good might happen here. We scored. We haven't done that in a while on them. Then we scored again. Then we scored again. And we absolutely blanked them 34 to nothing. 
yes! It's almost like getting saved again. And can I tell you, it was a moment of sheer euphoria. We were on the side. People who didn't even like each other were hugging. I mean, crying. Oh, it was just like we were, you know, walking around in a fairy tale land with bubbles floating everywhere. We won. We won. You know, throwing some money up in the air. It was insane. That's how it feels to win. This is what's happening in Israel at this time. The nation was beginning to feel this sense that finally we're beginning to win. So, how do you get unstuck from busyness? Number one, guard against overcommitting in times of success. Because that's what happens. We feel the rush of success and we get drunk on it. It's intoxicating. And, and, and when, you, when you win and you continue to win and you feel this momentum, you begin to feel invincible and you have this feeling that you have unlimited resources to do anything you want to do. You feel unstoppable. So the temptation is just keep at I can take anything on. And, and, and the thing is, if you have that baby on the mountaintop, you're going to change its diaper in the valley. you got to remember that. You got to remember that. When you're winning, the temptation is to think that you're better than you are. When you're losing, the temptation is to think that you're worse than you are. Both of those are equally true. Too often, though, we mismanage our victories, and the way to get unstuck from busyness is first, don't get stuck in it. And we tend to get stuck in it when we're winning and we take on more things than we should. We commit to things because we're in a moment of goodness where everything just seems to be flowing. If you want some proof of this, why, I did some research uh, once a few years ago. Why don't you look up what, what happens to lottery winners? It is terrible. The drug abuse rate, suicide rate, family breakdown, divorce, it is absolutely terrible what happens to lottery winners. Look at these young pro athletes come up and sign these multi-million dollar deals. Young entertainers sign these. How, how, you, and you look at them and the next thing you know you go, you had a $100 million contract. How is it that you're filing bankruptcy? Because you're mismanaging your victory. You want to get unstuck from busyness, don't get stuck in it by mismanaging your victory. Verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat. So here's Moses, we're winning, right? Everything's up. So what does Moses do with it? He took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone, circle that word, why do you alone, why are you doing this by yourself? Sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. You think the line at the DMV is bad. If you had a dispute to settle in Moses' day, you'd have been in trouble because you're waiting on one guy. Number two, give someone permission 
to question your schedule. How do you get unstuck from busyness? Give someone permission to question your schedule. In Moses' case, it was his father-in-law. Somehow or another, they had the kind of relationship where he could come along and say, Moses, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this by yourself? You need someone in your life who can question your schedule. We are not good at slowing down our lives and deeply examining them because of FOMO and mental saturation. We're just not good at it. I can remember when I was a youth pastor, and I started out ministry uh, not understanding that one of the great parts of ministry is equipping and empowering and delegating and handing off things to people and raising them up. I felt, I thought God called me, so I need to do the work. I felt bad if I asked people to do it. I felt guilty. I thought, well, look, they work all week. This is, I'm here. This is my job. And, 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 and our ministry was stuck because it was stuck with me because I was doing too much. And I can remember I would have this conversation with one of our youth leaders, uh, she was uh, 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 quite a bit older than I was. She had been a pastor's wife for a long time. And she was just a saint, just an incredible friend to our family, to Stacy and I and our kids. And I can remember talking to her and just saying, you know, man, we really got to you know, delegate and get unstuck and all this. And one day, I can still take you to the piece of carpet I was standing on in the foyer of that church. One day, as meek and sweet and mild as she was, she turned around and looked at me and she said, I've got one question for you. I said, what? She said, when are we going to stop talking about doing that? When are we going to start doing it? And I thought, well, hello. <laughs> and I said, I, I guess now. I don't know. Because I could see the problem. I couldn't see what to do with it. But she was a trusted friend and she spoke truth to me at a time that I needed it. And I said, I guess i got to figure this out better. And we did. We did get it figured out. And we did start to empower and expand. And the ministry grew and grew and grew and grew. It was a turning point. That one conversation was a turning point, not only in my life, but in a lot of other people's life. See, decision-making is difficult in our times. And one reason... The decision-making, I think, is more difficult in our times than maybe in prior times is because the world is so complex and complicated and fast-moving and our minds are saturated and we are called upon to make more decisions on a daily basis than any generation that's ever lived before us. We're constantly deciding, 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 deciding. You know, you pull up to a drive through what do you got? You got 38 choices. Oh, well. Every time you turn a screen on, stuff's popping at you like this, and you got to decide to turn it off, to follow it, to what are you going to do? Emails are coming at you. Texts are coming at you. Phone calls are coming at you. People are coming at you. What are you going to do? you got to decide, 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 decide. We don't live on the farm anymore. Things don't move that slow. And, and it take, it, it, our brains take a beating. So I think we also probably make more decisions alone than any other generation. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. 
So, so why should you invite someone in your life who can question your schedule, who can question your busyness? We ask for input not because we're incapable of making good decisions by ourselves, but because we all make better decisions when we allow the input of other trusted and wise people. I, I have a friend um, who, who owned a small business and, and was doing fairly well. Uh, he and his wife, and they had four children. And I ran into him at the gas station one day. This was years ago. And, and I said, hey, Chuck, how's it going, man? He said, I'm going fine. You know, we were talking a little bit. And we're just filling up our tanks there. And he says, yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to sell my business. I said, really? He had started that business, had owned that business for maybe 13 or 14 years. I said, well, is, is everything okay? Is something, something going wrong? No. He said, it's just for the things that we're trying to accomplish as a family it's really, it's really choking us, and, and uh, it's straining us, it's straining our relationship, it's straining my role as a dad, and, and I feel like i got to make a change. And I said, well, Chuck, I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine how hard it would be to make that decision. How hard would it be to make a decision to sell the business you started and, and to go work for somebody else? I, I, how did you make that? Here's what he said. He said, I have five men in my life who are trusted counsel. I'd never heard anybody say this. And he said, so my wife and I invited him over for dinner. Uh, we spent the evening together, and we talked, and we kind of laid out for that group um, where we are. Uh, they, they said, okay, we'll, we'll pray about it, and, and, um, and we prayed together. And they left, and then a couple weeks later, they all met back together again, and they gave their best advice. And he said, we listened to them, and we took their advice, and then we talked and prayed as a couple, and it just seemed like we had unity. All seven of us were seeing the same thing, and we made that decision. How much, how much better do you think our decision-making would be if we invited input from people who we trust and we know who love us? How much better if we maybe slowed some of those bigger ones down and got input? One of the best ways that you can get unstuck from busyness is get input from people you trust on what you can cut out. Because that's usually what it comes down to. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, listen to this, what you are doing is not good. In other words, this, this sitting all day and letting the people come with disputes and surround you from morning till night. He says, look Moses, this is not good. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Who's, who's going to get worn out? You and the people who come to you. you can't, this work is too heavy. You cannot handle it alone. Number three, recognize the cost of busyness. We live in a time where we, we, we do not have a realistic connection with the cost of busyness. We think we have unlimited capacity and we can always double down and we can always work harder. And we think there's no cost. There's no cost to filling your schedule over full. There's no cost to going too hard. Look, according to verse 18, when we're too busy, everybody suffers, not just us. Here's the lie of busyness. By living overloaded, we're actually benefiting other people. And here's what we say to ourselves. We say, this is a sacrifice. But I'm sacrificing for this person. No, you're not. 
By being overloaded, in the long run, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting them. What's the cost of busyness? Most of the costs are invisible in that we can't see them and we can't see how they're connected to our, our busyness until it's too late. So where do we pay? We call these uh, intangible sometimes, right? Isn't it, isn't it funny that the most important things in life we call intangibles? So where do we pay? What price do we pay for, for being over busy? I think we pay in relationships, we pay in our marriage, we pay in our family, we pay in our friends. We, 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 we go too fast, too quick, too, too long, too much, and we become isolated and we live on little islands. That's why at Kingwood, we, we push life groups all the time because we say life is better together. It's not better alone. We pay in relationships. Last week at the picnic, I had an opportunity to, to meet a person I'd never met. Met him for the first time. He had been to Kingwood for a short time, and he said, "Hey, I, I just want to tell you, take a couple minutes to tell you a little bit about my story." I said, "Sure." And he said, um, "When our kids were little, he said I worked all the time, and he said when I didn't work at work, I worked at home because the phone was ringing all the time, and it was work. And when the phone wasn't ringing at home, he said then my mind was on it, and I had no." Space, and he said, I just never engaged in my children's life the way I should, and I so regret it. I said, well, what are you doing now? He said, well, I'm about to have my ninth grandchild. And he said, I put all that behind me. I made some serious life changes. And he said, and I am there for them every minute I can be. Because he's trying to not, not fix what he did. He, he knows you can't necessarily fix that. But he's trying to not repeat the mistake. So he's saying, I'm there for them. And as I listened to him, I thought, wow. Th that, that is it, isn't it? That's right. That's where we pay is in relationships. And we usually don't realize it until it's too late. And then the cost has already been paid. I think we... Um, I think we also pay in our health. I think, I think our health begins to break down. I saw this after Hurricane Katrina. After Hurricane Katrina, people worked uh, seven days a week, just 24-7, morning till night. We got to recover, we got to recover, we got to recover, we got to recover. And it was almost like the American culture in microcosm. And, and after about 12 months, you know what happened? Heart attack, stroke, divorce, Suicide and drug addiction went through the roof. It was four and five hundred percent higher than the rest of the nation. Because there's this adrenaline reaction when you go through trauma and disaster that we have to fix this. It doesn't matter what it takes. It does matter what it takes. Because it might take more than you want to give. It might take more than you have to give. And then you can't get that back. I think we pay in relationships. We pay in health. I think we even pay in our purpose. We, we lose, when we, when we go, 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 we lose sight of our purpose. We lose focus like Moses did. What am I even doing? I mean, we just beat Pickens. We just won. Now what am I doing? I'm sitting here from morning till night, day in and day out, and I'm just having the life sucked out of me. Because this, this pace, this busy lifestyle I'm living... 
The greatest gift you have to give your loved ones is the healthiest version of yourself. And when you, when you can't give that, they are paying and you are paying. Verse 15. So here, here's Moses' answer. Moses answered him, because the people... So he asked him, why are you doing this? Here's his answer. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Number four, identify the source of your busyness. Let me tell you when we tend to get stuck in busyness. You ready? Two times. Either when we try to do it all, or we try to have it all. We get stuck in busyness when we try to do it all, or we try to have it all. In Moses' case, he was trying to do it all. Moses was trying to personally lead one million people. And every time you think you got problems with your kids at home, one million people. You know all that, I'm going to put you in timeout and separate and all that. How do you do that with one million people? One million people, every time there was a conflict, they brought them to Moses personally. You think our court system is backed up. Can you imagine how this must have been? And, and, and usually what happens is we're, we're, we're doing these things for other people, we think, but the whole system is breaking down. See, Moses was personally deciding every conflict. Why? Did you hear what it said? Uh, his father-in-law said, why are you doing this? He said, because the people come to me. Well, who told him to come to you? I don't know. Who told him it was okay to come to you? I don't know. Who told him that you were the one to answer everything? I don't know. Why are you doing it? Watch this. Because the people expect it. A lot of your busyness and mine comes from this frantic need to try to meet other people's expectations. If you want to get unstuck from busyness, you've got to lower a little bit trying to meet everybody else's expectations. Because you know why? They don't know what you go through. And they don't know how hard it is. And they don't know what it's costing you. And they don't know that you're up at night. And they don't know that you're afraid. And they don't know that you're lonely. And they don't know that you just gave and gave and gave and gave to the four or five people that came before them. And now they're here and they go, because well, this, this is where I get it, I come to you. You, you have to have some sense of who God's called you to be. Now, usually, usually what happens when we get stuck in trying to do it all, watch this, is we do the same thing that Moses did. We're doing things for other people that they can do for themselves. Right? Well, Look at, look at, uh, look at uh, Moses' father-in-law's advice. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, teach them. What's he saying? They can do this. Teach them. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they're to live and how they're to behave. Teach them, Moses. You, you, they don't have to come to you for everything. Teach them. Teach them to do this for themselves. You've heard the old saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Teach them. I want all the codependent people in the room to listen to me just for a minute. I, I am in your tribe. I'm one of you. So I can speak to you. All the codependent people. The right way to get your kids to put their dirty socks in the right basket is stop washing it until they do. Right? Teach them. <laughs> when you put it in this one, it gets washed. When you leave it behind the door in the bathroom, 
Not so much. Teach them. The way you get your the way you stop doing all the dishes is you slow down and you teach somebody else how to do dishes. Unless you're going to cut all the grass the rest of your life, you have to teach someone else how to cut grass. The answer to trying to do it all is to teach someone to do part of what you're doing. That's what, he, that's what Moses' father-in-law told him. He said, Moses, teach them. Look, if you're the kind of person who tries to do it all, you only have two answers. You only have two answers. Do less or teach. That's all you got. Do less or teach or do less and teach. But that's really the only solution you have. Verse 22. So here's Jethro's advice. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. You still have a role. The simple cases they can decide, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Verse 23, if you do this and God so commands, watch this, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So what happens? When you and I are stuck in busyness, not only does it affect us, it affects the people around us. When you and I get unstuck, guess who's better off? Everybody. You're better off, your spouse is better off, your children are better off, your co-workers are better off, your neighbors might even be better off. Number five, recognize the blessing of getting unstuck from busyness. What is the blessing of getting unstuck? Here's the blessing. You now have new capacity to focus. You're able to focus. Moses was able to focus on the really difficult cases because he let all the other ones go. And I bet you he made a lot better decisions then because he was fresh and clear-minded, not mental saturation. When you do less, you get unstuck and you get better at what's left because you're doing less. All the great people that I know who've made a great impact have one thing in common. They have an incredible ability to focus. Think for a minute of some of these names. Michael Jordan. I have no idea if the man is good at any other thing he's ever done in life but basketball. He's known for that. Tiger Woods. Beethoven. Music. Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights. Jerry Seinfeld. Comedy. Michael Phelps, swimming, swimming, Billy Graham, evangelistic crusades, James Dobson, focus on the family, right? All people who have a great impact have the same thing in common. They have an ability to focus. How do they get an ability to focus? They do less than the average person. So that they can zero in on what God's called them to do and God wants them to do. I, I can remember when both our kids were little and they were starting in uh, t-ball. And they did t-ball and then they did uh, uh, basketball and they were doing taekwondo all at once. And it just so happened magically that the planets aligned our first year. And um, there were no schedule conflicts ever. It was, it was great. Both kids had games about the same time at the same location, and we just kind of sat there and watched all the other parents run crazy. Thought, what's wrong with them? Why don't they get it? You know, this is easy. Then the next year came, 
And their games were never at the same place, never at the same time, never at the same field. So we were going six days a week in games. And then basketball and, and uh, the league overlapped that year for three weeks for some reason. And then they had Taekwondo right in the middle. And we had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. So Jesus is not happy with us. <laughs> so we looked at them and we said, one thing. One thing. We're going to do one thing, and we're not doing this again. And, and look, I just want to say to all the parents of the little ones, I promise you the sports culture will take every minute of every day and every dime you have. And if you don't cut some, your kids are going to be okay if they don't play everything. I promise. They're going to live. They're going to survive. And if you don't cut something out, you're going to wake up one day and go, I don't even know who my kid is. I went to all their games, but we didn't talk. Quality time is not on the sideline. Quality time is like unstructured time. When you just get to be people together around the dinner table. On an off day, on a trip, on a walk, on a hike, being together. Sports is great. I love it. Our family's done sports since our kids could walk and still doing them. And I love every minute of it. But it's not what we're about. We're going to be okay if we don't do it. Because we, we have a greater purpose. We have a deeper meaning. So Philippians 3.13, Paul the Apostle says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but what? One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. When you focus, when you cut some things out, it allows you to focus and you'll get unstuck from busyness and you'll start to get traction. But we just can't have it all and we can't do it all. The other thing that you gain when you get unstuck is fruitfulness. As we're saying, you start to get traction, you start to produce fruit. Here's the other thing you gain. You and the people around you will be blessed. You'll live a blessed life. This is what Moses' father-in-law was telling him. Moses, man, what you're doing is not good, and you're not the only one paying for it. There are people around you paying for it. And so you you got you to gotta slow down. you got to back off on this. So... What about you today? Being stuck is a terrible feeling. I've been stuck in my life more times than I can count. And I, and I think because of the pace of life, we tend to get stuck more because we're just inundated with, with stuff. It's a terrible feeling, and it's a miserable feeling to, to think that you're just going around and around in circles and you're not really getting anywhere. And what happens then is you get tired and you get discouraged and you might even get depressed and then you start to question things. Maybe you shouldn't even question. Why am I here? What is this about? Is it worth it? And it breaks you down. Have you ever heard the old saying, um, if the devil can't make you bad... He'll make you busy. You ever heard that? Well, I think he's managed to do that for the whole American culture. I think he won that battle. We're just busy. And when you're too busy, the things that matter the most get neglected. So, where are you at today? 
which one of these do you lean toward? Are you the person that leans more toward trying to have it all? Are you the person that leans more toward trying to do it all? Just ask yourself that question. Which one are you? If you're going to go too hard, if you're going to get too busy, which one are you going to be chasing? Which one are you going to be going after? Some of you, as we prayed earlier, had just been beat up a little bit this week. Maybe for longer than that, maybe for months. And I, I think what the Lord wants to do is He wants to help you today. He wants you to feel His presence. And He wants you to know He's close. And maybe you are stuck today. But that was never His plan. It was never His plan. He doesn't want you to be stuck. He wants you to live a fruitful and, and an abundant and a fulfilling life. But you know... Part of that rests on how we respond, right? When God begins to whisper to our heart, hey, I want you to do this or not do this or go this way, a lot of it depends on how we respond. And if we just go along with the flow of the culture, we'll live the life the culture has to give us. But if we go along with the flow of the Holy Spirit, and we take on Jesus' ways, then we'll live the life that Jesus has to give. So would you just stand with me this morning, and I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Would you just close your eyes for a moment and open your heart? And let's just give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to talk to us, to, to help us. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the Helper. He's here to help. He's here to help. He doesn't want to ruin your life or force you, or, but He does want to help. So today, I just want to invite you, if you need prayer, if you say, if I'm just honest today, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed, and I'm struggling, and I do, I need the Holy Spirit's help today. I need His help. I need His strength. As we prayed earlier, I need the peace of God. I need the presence of God. Would you just lift your hand and say, you know, if I'm honest, that's me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, just lift it and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, it's okay. You've come to a good place, man. I've, I've, I've been there many, many times. If you're here today and you have a tough decision to make and you need God's wisdom, would you just lift your hand and say, man, I, I need God's wisdom in this decision I've got to make. Yeah, I need God's wisdom today. I need God's help. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I need God's wisdom. A lot going on. He's the helper. <laughs> we just have to surrender to Him. So as, as we begin to pray today, if you lifted your hand, I want you to go ahead and just look at one of the prayer team members. I just want you to find one of them. And if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, if you lifted your hand and said, man, that's me, I have those needs. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's just speaking to you and it's time. It's time for you to, to take a step for something to change.
Man, as I begin to pray, I want you to come and let the prayer team just minister to you. And we're just going to meet Jesus this morning inside that need and let him come and help you today. So as I begin to pray, would you come now? Lord, I thank you for the presence of God that is in this place. Lord, I thank you that you are our helper, that you have come today to help, to strengthen, to, to increase fruitfulness. And maybe even like John 15 says, decrease some other things. Lord, you have a plan for our life and your will for our life is good. And so, Lord, today we step toward your presence. We step toward that good plan you have. We step toward the peace of God this morning that passes understanding. Lord, minister now. Minister now. As the worship team begins to sing, man, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come. We're just going to pray for you. That's all. We don't want to embarrass you. Thank you.